You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and I want to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by rockauto.com. rockauto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. So I know I promised another name for the Indians, but first I want to get into we've had uh, some comments online, so let's dive into some of the, the comments and the listener stuff. After that, I'll give you a name to know, and then we'll continue our draft review. So first off, I want to try to get the name right this time because he sent me your pronunciation key, but that is not always a promise. So the idea for the who's on the 50-person pod, uh, podcast that we'll get to eventually is from Zahn Zayner. Correct me if I got it wrong or not. Zahn Zayner. Uh, he was another thing he brought up is like what teams are going to benefit from a shortened season. You know, is it teams with a strong lineup or a rotation? Is it younger teams or older teams? Um, and then, of course, teams with lots of money always have the always have the advantage, and that's correct. Teams who have money can afford to buy depth, which the Indians can, which is why you know the start of last year we had uh, Stamets and uh, Morhoff, and now neither of them are at the organization. So, yeah, money is always the first biggest advantage. Uh, younger teams, you would think, would have the advantage because there's not going to be built-in rest. It's There's going to be very little chances for rest. And I think that also benefits um, deep bullpens, uh, which is a weakness of the Indians. And I think it's going to benefit uh, strong rotations and pitching depth in general. Because, again, uh, you know, hitters, when you rest a guy, that's a lot easier to, to kind of focus and, and do. There's not going to be that built-in to the schedule for for pitchers to have an off day to reset things, that's not going to be there. So I think deep pitching, which the Indians do have, uh, starting pitching in particular, and then I think bullpens are going to be maybe as important as ever. And we had another one over on the Facebook, and this is from Pete Podner, and he listened to the show last night, and he went out and reviewed all the mock drafts, and he saw Tanner Witt, uh, Bitsko, and Drew Romo, and would like to know if any of those fit better then uh, Jared Kelly and also if Blaze Jordan is available at the comp pick, do the Indians take him or Jordan Walker? So Tanner Witt, um, no one is ripping me off. I want to state that now, but I know Tanner Witt comes specifically from Kylie McDaniel's mock. What I have enjoyed with Kylie McDaniel's mock is, again, he is smart. He is great at this. He's one of the top three people in the field. Uh, he knows what he's doing, what he's talking about. He knows the draft. And he is getting internal information from teams. I'm a small fish compared to him. But a lot of things I am posting in my mocks or on my Twitter are then showing up in his. Uh, and that's, again, he doesn't know I exist. Uh, I mean, he does. I, we know mutual people, but he's not. I, I don't want to imply anything. What I'm implying is that the things I'm coming up with are then getting proven out in other places. For instance, uh, I got shredded over one of my mocks having Nick Gonzalez to the Orioles uh, with them looking to go under slot. And then uh, Kylie talked about that being a high possibility in his. And if you read my mock or watched my mock videos that I made, uh, I had Tanner Witt to the Indians with their comp pick and talked about how he fits. Tanner Witt makes more sense than Jared Kelly. And something I talked about on Twitter is Jared Kelly actually does not make a lot of sense to the Indians at all. He's getting mocked there because it, there's viewed to be a top three prep pitchers. And it goes, it's Bitsko, Abel, and Kelly. Abel and uh, Bitsko would make some t- sense to the Indians, but Kelly, the problems are just not very base level, that his track men data isn't great. Uh, the Indians like to see multiple off, uh, off-speed off offerings. He's got one. It's a good one, 
uh, it's a, the change. But right now, he's just fastball change. Um, the other thing the Indians like is uh, they don't. And the other reason Kelly get, Kelly gets projected there because he is a he's got present stuff. The Indians do draft for present stuff, and he's a nice fit for the Indians. And in, and in terms of getting him off your board, I don't see it. I don't think uh, Jared Kelly is doesn't fit the Indians at all. When I posted that, I had uh, more than one agent tell me that uh, I was right. So we'll see. Uh, none of them were his agent, so let me clarify that. Tanner Witt is young for his class. He has baseball organizational bloodlines with his dad being a hitting coach. On top of that, he's a big kid, which the Indians, you know, they're kind of all over the place. They seem to either like them really big or really small uh, with not a lot in between. Not a lot of like 6'3". It's like 6'2 and, and smaller, 6'5 uh, and 6'6". Six, six. That's the range. But he's a big kid, bloodlines. And on top of all that, his trackman data is really great. He has been a hot, uh, rising name, but there is some debate whether or not he's signable. Uh, Drew Romo would be a bit of a surprise. I'm curious to go over and pull up his age. I don't have him in my top 50. Catchers are such a crapshoot in general. And with Romo, you're looking at a guy where it's it's all defensive skills, but we're not sure about the offense. He's a switch hitter, but and he will, he'll turn 19 this summer, which kind of puts him outside of the typical Indians range of picks. They don't go for someone who would be, I don't know if he would be a draft eligible sophomore in two years because it is an end of August birthday. Here's just the honest truth when it comes to catchers. So many big name catchers flame out. Lucas Herbert, I believe was the Padres, took him pretty high. He was the top catcher in his class and he just got released this week. Casey Opitz was a guy who had some first round run as, as a high school kid, ended up going to Arkansas, it was probably gonna be a fourth or a fifth round pick. You can just keep going through. Uh, prep catcher is so risky. And when the Indians took Bo Naylor, he was young for his class, and he was a cold-weather bat, and he had bloodlines. Romo doesn't have any of those. I would be shocked if the Indians jumped on him. Yes, the Indians need catching depth in the organization, but he does not seem to fit. And then just go back to Pete. Nick Bitsko, I think he's gone. I don't think there's any chance he's still on the board when the Indians pick. And while Bitsko is one of the youngest players in this class, he did reclassify. And something I often run into is people being like, oh, this guy's young. And it's like, with the Indians, it's not always about youth. It's youth relative to the class and relative to who they're facing. You know, it, yeah, a draft-eligible sophomore is technically young because they may not even be 21 yet, but they're not really young relative to their class. They're an older prospect relative to the guys that they've been playing against for most of their life. So that's what I... When you're looking at age, it's always relative to class. And with Bitsko, got the trackman data. He's got good velocity. He is younger. He would have been older in his class, but it, this is the one case where age relative to class may not mean as much just because it, he's a high school kid. And then the other thing with him, honestly, is that there's just not the wear on his shoulder because... He should have been a junior, but he didn't pitch at all this year, so you essentially had two years of pitching data. He had a freshman and a sophomore year, and that's it. You're getting a blank slate with good trackmen, good velocity, who you can mold. I think the Indians would take him. I don't think he's going to be there. I think there's just too much fire. He's going in the teens. Blaze Jordan or Jordan Walker? Which Jordan do they take? I really like Blaze Jordan. Um, there's some really interesting data with him. It's one of those things where am I am I going too much to the group think of, like, well, he's sliding on boards. People aren't as sure about the hit tool. There's some, you know, there's always been some issues with um, his build and keeping uh, himself in the correct shape. And you know, there's on top of that, just undersized first baseman. Those those are all the red flags. Jordan Walker uh, concern is also hit tool for both these guys. You know, it's it's concerns with hit tool versus plus power potential. Walker is a better Jordan Walker is the better athlete. There's a chance he'll play something other than first base. I think for the Indians. When you look at Jordan Walker in particular, 
He's also, he comes from an incredibly bright family. He's an incredibly bright kid. And for some organizations, you know, there's a few years ago where they, you know, that was listed as a negative, but I think the Indians are not one of those. They want smart individuals in their organization and they think that that helps. Uh, on top of that, you know, if you've been listening to the pod, they love Georgia. Georgia, this is not the best year for the state in terms of its prep prospects, but they love Georgia. Jordan Walker is the top Georgia prospect. I think from here on out, he's going to be my, uh, that pick at 36. He's going to be there. He's just, I'm going to put that in unless I hear something definitive with that pick or see more about him going higher or lower again from someone I trust. There is a world, honestly, though, where the Indians take Jordan Walker at 36 and then Blaze Jordan falls to them in the second. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that could happen. And I think in the second round, uh, they would very much consider him. You know, they took uh, Joe Naranjo, who we talked about on the podcast, in the uh, third round last year. So I think Blaze Jordan at the back end of the second, if they could get him and move that pool money around in the right way, I absolutely think he could be in play there. So rockauto.com is our sponsor today, and I thought the best way to go about showing this is for me to go to their website, because as I mentioned, I am not a car guy, but I do love a great deal. So I'm over here on rockauto.com. I can already see that uh, they must service the entire world because they have prices in dollars, Brazilian money, New Zealand, Norwegian, all over the place. And it's very nice over here on the left is just someone who uh, is looking for an easy way to navigate that's it's alphabetical. And it's by manufacturer, so I can just scroll down until I get to the F, click on that because I have a Ford, whatever year you go through. I've got a 2015, I open that up, I go down to Focus, and I open that up. It's just a nice little branching system, and I can go, okay, there is mine. So I click on that because I don't have the turbo charge. And then they just have all the bits and pieces you would need. Uh, So let's say I'm having a problem with my interior. Uh, let's go look for floor mats. My car didn't come with any. So I can right now look and they give me two different choices, a four piece set for $50.79 or a two piece set for $36.79. I know having looked at floor mats a few times before since I don't have them, that that is a better price than I've ever seen. So rockauto.com. And remember that when you go to rockauto.com and there's the area of how did you hear about us, right locked on in there. Let them know that you heard about it from us. That helps us out. Built Bar, our other fantastic sponsor. I got my new flavors. Mango I tried out. It's good. It's solid. Um, I think I like pineapple upside down more than the new, their pecan variety. Uh, I'm going to have to give them a few more days, see if they can move into that top three. My big board of, uh, of bars, which is the chocolate banana, the orange cream, and the toffee almond. Again, I think it's a fantastic product. It is a product. This is the second time I've ordered from using our promo code locked on. Uh, it is a n- nice protein bar. I just, if you're like me and you use protein bars, you know that they're often very chewy and they're not, I would look at them and it's like, okay, I'm going to eat this now. You don't have to have that feeling when you get a bar from Built Bar. So go to BuiltBar.com, use our promo code locked on, try it out. And I am sure that once you do, you will like it as much as I do. So our player to know for the day, let me make sure I have the correct information up, is Ricky Tideman. And you might be saying who? Well... I'll start up with Tony. He has maybe the best hair in the draft. He is a left-hand pitcher from California. His brother, Tay Tideman, is a pitcher in the Rangers system. Now, Ricky is young for his class. He will not turn 18 until August. He, as I mentioned, is a six-foot-four left-hander, kind of fits the Indians' build and look. A really strong athlete. He was one of the better hitters on his high school team. 
And when you look at the athleticism and you look at the bloodlines and you look at the fact that he's young for his class and you look at the fact that he has a good feel for his secondary pitches, all of that comes together to say, this is a guy to watch out. Maybe more on day two, but I wouldn't be shocked if they took him in the second round. He fits their profile. He is a guy who is definitely rising late in the process. When I'm just going through and looking at a list of guys by age, his name came up, you dig deeper, and you're like, okay, he checks the majority of the boxes. Ricky Tideman. Tideman is the name to know today for the Cleveland Indians in this year's draft. So let's continue our review. Try to get a few of these picks in for the 2019 draft, see how some of these players have done in their year in the system. So let's get into these picks. We're going to start with the 12th round today. That is where the Indians took Alan Hernandez, a 6'5", 225-pound right-handed pitcher. He was committed to Florida International, I believe, at the time, and was from Miami Christian High School in Miami, Florida. He was put into the Arizona League and was entirely a reliever. 11 appearances, 12.1 innings, 11.7 strikeouts per nine. 10.9 walks per nine. Uh, This is your definition of a developmental player. We'll see what happens. Uh, I think with the 12th round pick, you're just kind of happy that he's in there. He's an interesting prospect. I would say his arrow is even across. Nothing there that really, yes, the walk rate is troubling, but uh, again, very young. 13th round, the Indians took Micah Pyers from Point Lomo Nazarene University in San Diego. Fun fact, his brother would then be drafted by the Yankees in the 24th round. Uh, Pyers did a lot of interesting things in college. Uh, He dominated that lower level of competition. And the unfortunate thing is he never played with the Indians. Uh, He was placed on the seven-day injured list. So, you know, they sign him uh, on June 14th. He gets assigned to Arizona Blue on the 17th. On the 22nd, he's put on the seven-day injured list, and he's activated from that seven-day injured list in September, but not assigned to another team or anything like that. So he just doesn't play, which is really unfortunate. If you are a, a day three pick who's going to be turning 22, I mean, he could lose two years and already be in his mid-20s, and that's that's one of those things, again, where you're like, could he be affected if they cut minor league teams? I don't know. There's there's enough interesting tools, and being a 13th round pick, I'm thinking he's probably high enough to uh, to get through. But yeah, I I liked that pick quite a bit. It was one of my favorite day three selections. So I was sad to see him not get a chance to perform, so we could see what he could do. They've taken some flyers on some high producing lower level talent, and so far it really hasn't worked out for the most part. But uh, I mean, there are guys who are successful from those lower levels. We're just waiting to see it at this point in time for the Indians. Next guy, I don't think that's right. Isn't there someone before him? Nope, I was wrong. Ike Freeman, utility player, uh, UNC. His, uh, you know, he played for three years at UNC. Another one of those guys. Uh, Micah Pyers, very small amount of time, but he did go to the Cape as well. Uh, Freeman was out on the Cape at UNC. He had a good year as a junior. It's the first time his OPS was up over 800. 293 batting, 436 on base, 427 slugging. Not really any power to his game. Uh, it was nice to see a 50, uh, have 51 walks to just 32 strikeouts. That's the type of balance in order you'd like to see. Not a lot of doubles either. He is purely a utility guy. That is his profile, 100% going forward. Uh, they put him in in the Arizona League where he was old for the level. 
and he didn't hit. 541 OPS in uh, 75 plate appearances, 217 batting average, 280 on base, 261 slugging. He did get to get 45 plate appearances in Lake County, and the results were even worse, 103, 200, 103. Uh, well, you know, it's so hard to judge, but at this point in time, you'd expect uh, an ACC performer to do better than that, so that is disappointing. We'll see what uh, what the future holds. I mean, I think he was drafted as a utility player, a depth guy for the minors to begin with, but that is not the ideal situation. Next up, Trey Benton, who was from East Carolina University. He was another Cape performer. I know, broken record, but the Indians got a chance to see him there. He only pitched 24 innings his junior year at East Carolina before having to shut it down due to injury. So he didn't pitch at all last year, had the arm surgery in May. Uh, low 90s up to mid 90s, six foot four guy, so bigger. So just showed a slider and change. A risk pick, but uh, day three, you can take the risk. Again, it's just the terrible situation where the Indians drafted a guy. He didn't play at all last year and likely won't get any chance to play this year. So let's move to our next selection. That is in the 16th round where the Indians took Jordan Jones, right-handed pitcher out of the University of Washington. He's another one with bloodlines. His brother is a pitcher in the Rangers system. He logged a ton of innings over his three years at the University of Washington as a starter. His college numbers, he had 43 starts, 52 games, 268 innings in three years. That's that's a lot of innings in three years. He went to the Arizona League, uh, which uh, surprised me a little just because he is such an accomplished college player that they sent him out to Arizona, and he pitched awesome. Like, you know, he did what you'd expect a guy who's experienced to do. He was old for the level, but 10.8 strikeouts per nine, 2.2 walks per nine, those are better than anything he did in school. Uh, That was over 37 innings. He had 14 games, three starts. I don't know if that means they're going to try to transition him to a reliever role, if they think the stuff will play up there, but I think at this point in time you have to be happy with the overall performance and what he did and think that that arrow is pointing up a bit. Let's try to get two more players in. Julian Escobedo. He is a center fielder in particular from San Diego State University. The Indians, he's one they they pushed a little because when they drafted him, uh, he was not, he didn't perform great in college. Let's just put it there. Like the, he was a defense and speed guy and his his uh, OPS as a junior was 714, 255 batting average, 350 on base, 364 slugging. He goes down to the Arizona Indians, has 125 plate appearances in 28 games. He hits 327, 424, 495, 919. Which, again, that's what you want to see a college kid go and do when they're facing uh, you know, young Latin American players and high school kids. Gets the bump to Mahoning Valley and in 95 plate appearances, struggles 129, 213, 176, 389. Uh, He was drafted as kind of more of a fourth outfielder. Maybe you'd find more with good tools. The performance in Arizona was great. The performance in Mahoning Valley seemed more in line with kind of uh, what he had been in college. I mean, obviously, I think he will perform better than those numbers because they were a massive struggle. But I think uh, he is what he is, and I think his would be uh, straight across even. Let's talk about the 18th round draft pick. This will be our last player on today's pod. That is Matt Waldron from the University of Nebraska. He was a four-year player, so you're looking at a senior, which, you know, if you know the baseball draft at all, you know that seniors uh, are very cheap to sign, very easy to sign, and most players uh, are drafted before their senior year. 
and the Indians took that senior and put him in Arizona to start. And in four games, he had a 15.3 strikeout per nine, zero walks per nine, 2.7 hit per nine. And yeah, I mean, that is what you expect a senior uh, 22-year-old to do. Like he is a advanced pitcher and he carved up Arizona. They bump him up to Mahoning Valley. He has 10 games there. He was mostly a starter in college, but he was treated as a reliever by the Indians. And in his 10 games, one start in Mahoning Valley, he had 32 innings. The strikeout rate was 10.1 per nine. The walk rate was one even, and the hit rate was 7.3 with a home run rate of 0.5. Across his college career, uh, Matt Waldron didn't walk anyone. That's why he appealed to the Indians in particular here. This is a guy who had excellent control and command. Maybe they think his stuff will play up in the pen, and that's why they did that. Or maybe with all these pitchers, they put him in the pen just to get more reps. Um, Not so much extended reps, but just to get more chances to see them. It's a great performance. I think you'd say his arrow is up just because he was viewed as a pitchability senior, but he was able to go out and face. Mahoning Valley is loaded with college kids, and he went out and played very well there. When you look at the numbers, you know he pitched 101 innings for Nebraska last year plus 45 innings uh, with the Indians. I'm not sure if he pitched in the Cape, but he might have been close to 200 innings, counting fall ball by the time that year was done. I want to thank you all for listening to the podcast. As always, you are what allow this podcast to grow, get better, and keep doing what it's doing. I hope you're enjoying all the draft content as we get closer and closer to that day. I've been Jeff Ellis. You can find me on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. Something I do want to mention very quickly is I think I'm going to do a live stream through YouTube and Hot Mic of the draft. So if you wanted to watch me talk about the draft, I will have links of that available on my Facebook and on my Twitter. I have no idea what it's going to look like, what it's going to be, but I think it's something fun we can do. So look for that. Again, you can find my Facebook page or you can find me at Twitter on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. As always, you are awesome. I have been Jeff Ellis. And go Tribe.